This episode is brought to you by Reese's Peanut Butter Cups. In breaking news, leading scientists worldwide are conducting experiments to determine if Reese's Peanut Butter Cups are the perfect combination of peanut butter and chocolate. However, it appears the study was inconclusive, as the scientists couldn't help but eat all the Reese's. Because when you want something sweet, you can't do better than Reese's. Find Reese's now at a store near you. It's the Sunday Showcase on the Mutual Audio Network. The following audio drama is rated PG for parental guidance recommended. Welcome to Mutual Presents, where we explore the past of the Mutual Broadcasting System, our forefather here on the Mutual Audio Network. I'm on the shoreline of Halifax, Nova Scotia, looking off to another distant shore. I'm reminded of the exciting tales of the Scarlet Queen. So Thursday Thrillers brings us another great double feature with The Courtship of Anna Mae Lamour and Shore Leave and the Unhappy Wife. Scarlet Queen. Position 19 degrees 14 minutes north, 108 degrees 3 minutes east. Wind light, sky fair. Remarks cleared port of Haiphong, French Indochina, 9 a.m. after unlogged movement of vessel. Reason for move the courtship of Anna May Lamour. Port of Haiphong is spread out on the edge of a niche in Asia's coastline called the Gulf of Tonkin. It's a hundred miles south of the designated border between China and French Indochina. It's at one of the seven mouths of the Songkhoi River, and the races that make up its population are as numerous as the fevers that swarm in from the surrounding swamps to reduce that population. But only one member of Haiphong's citizenry was important to us. It was Max Thorne the local representative of my Chinese boss, Kuji Kang. Through him, we would have received further sailing orders for the voyage of the Scarlet Queen. It was 1.30 p.m. by my wristwatch when we skirted the southern edge of the low, jungle-tufted island called Kak Ba and stood in toward the steaming river mouth. We edged into the welter of native craft, outward bound on the ebbing tide. I was so busy at the wheel that I didn't notice until she was alongside the tiny cockle shell of a canoe that had swept across the current to meet us. My chief mate, Gallagher, gave me a call. Hey, Skipper, we got a visitor. What is it, Red? She's, um, immodest, light tan, Micronesian. She's smiling and she don't chew beetle nuts. Tell her we don't want any. Send her back home. Ah, uh, not this one, Skipper. She's already secured to our side and she's asking for Phil Connie in English. <laughs> when did you say you were in Haiphong, lad? Oh, it's too long ago for her to have been waiting for me at the mouth of the river all the time. Bring her aboard, Red. Maybe she's from Thorn. Hey, Nelson, let me a hand with the girl. Oh, 
don't lose your button, black eyes. Okay, up you come. I have a missive for the hand of Phil Connie. Come on, this is him at the wheel. Here you are, Skipper. I have a missive for the hand of Phil Connie. I didn't know why her young brown face lit up with a smile when I reached out with my left hand for the envelope, but I didn't give her expression another thought after the contents of the note started to sink in. It was from Max Thorne, all right, and it said, The girl will bring you to me. Be cautious. The men you will meet in my office believe that I've sold my loyalty to them. They're from Mr. Kang's enemy, Constantino. Since you're informed of the situation, possibly we can foil their plans, which are, of course, to halt... The voyage of your Scarlet Queen. And so Mutual continues The Voyage of the Scarlet Queen, written by Gil Dowd and Bob Tolman, and starring Elliot Lewis. The Scarlet Queen, proudest ship to plow the seas, bound for uncharted adventure. Every week, a complete entry in the log. And every week, a league further in the strange voyage of the Scarlet Queen. The girl led Gallagher and me to a two-story building a few blocks up from the waterfront in the commercial section. Left us in front of a narrow doorway. Sign in Chinese characters in English said China Traders, Kang and Son. The narrow under it motioned us up a narrow stairway to the second floor. Uh, remembering at all times to be your own sweet, smiling self, mate? <laughs> After you, Skipper. After you. Uh, Mr. Max Thorne? I'm Max Thorne, and you're Captain Connie. Uh, that's right. This is my chief mate, Mr. Gallagher. You're a hand, Captain? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I'm both happy and proud with your arrival. Come in, gentlemen. I want you to meet some old friends of mine. This is Mr. Cabot Beacon. Uh, Captain Carney's ship is from the States, Cabot. You three should find much in common. Good afternoon, gentlemen. Uh, and this afternoon. is Martin Pine. Oh, I am. I take it you're in the trade, Captain. Yeah, we're looking it over. After the cloak of secrecy Thorn here assumed upon receiving word of your impending arrival, we expected you and your crew to be uh, at least buccaneers. Sorry to disappoint you, Bacon. Working men always do. Oh, you see. Well, Thorne, I, I know you'd plan to spend the rest of the afternoon with the captain and his mate. But I hope you don't mind if we hold you to your promise of giving us an estimate on our shipment of rubber. Why, no. Business before pleasure. Yes, yes, of course. Uh, so if you don't mind, Captain, we can have our visit later. Yeah, sure, Thorne, go ahead. We've got some ship business to take care of ourselves. Maybe we'll drop by tomorrow. Good. Uh, I'm sorry, Captain, but you know how it... Yeah, well, don't worry about us, Thorne. we got plenty of time. This isn't my style, Skipper. I don't think we should have left. Well, it depends on what Thorne told him, but I think he knows what he's doing. He had a note pound when he shook my hand. I'm sure a calm customer. Well, we better wait till we get out of sight of the building before we look at it. Yeah. What do you make of that beacon? He looks like a lawyer. There's no beachcomber, Red. No, he shouldn't. The Constantino men are getting smarter the closer we get to Kang's ten million buck prize. All except one. Who? Don't look now, but he thinks he's tailing us. <laughs> That's getting closer to my style. Which one is it? I don't know. I haven't seen him. Oh, I'm awful lucky to have a skipper like you. You're such fun. <laughs> no, I mean it, Red. He's got to be there. Come on, we'll turn here and heave to in the lee of this building and wait. It's the 
way that friendly little huddle up there makes any sense. Haifang Harbor's big. Beacon and Pine want to know where the queen is moored, so they're in the office when we get there. They cut the meeting short, and one of them tails us back to the ship. Doesn't that make sense? If one of them follows us around the corner, then it'll make sense. But Gallagher was rubbing his knuckles sort of hopefully when he said it. It was Pine. He swung around the corner and stopped. As though he just remembered something he was supposed to have brought with him. He never did get back after it. Well, now what do we do with him? Take him back to the ship and keep him out of sight. If they keep coming one at a time, we could clean this thing up this afternoon. Yeah. <laughs> now, what about Thorne's note, Skipper? Nobody's going to see you read it now. Yeah, here it is. Yeah. Well? Oh. What does it say? We aren't doing so good, Red. It says, we'll try to see you on your ship tonight. Meantime, if anybody follows you, do your best to evade him. By no means show our hand by trying to stop him or we lose our advantage. Hmm. I guess we should have read it before. Yeah, well, anything could have happened to Pine. He could have got uh, run over or something, couldn't he? Sure, Red, anything could have happened to yeah. Pine. I'd feel better if anything else had. We cleaned Pine up a little, held him like he was intoxicated in an erect position between us and trundled him to the queen. I thought that one twist, like reading the note after we'd had our way with Pine, would be enough for one day, even in Haiphong. The one at the ship was of a different type, but it was just as startling. <laughs> hey, what's all that, Skipper? The after deck of the Queen looked like a Chinese junk on laundry day. Lines were run helter-skelter across the cockpit and back, and they were loaded with underwear, socks, dungarees, and all of it was mine. Gallagher took Pine forward to lock him up in the forepeak. My temper and I went to the cabin. What are you doing here? Oh, fear, honey. You return with eye of somber fire. What is all this? A cloud on your face dimmed instantly my beaming looks. I became your menial. What's that stuff doing out on deck? It is too dry. That isn't the way I keep my ship. How do you think that looks from shore? It must look most clean. That is a great distinction of lowly lords. The book said that. Hmm? What book? Of a man of your race with the extensive naming of Robert Louis Stevenson... The book also has extensive naming of the South Seas, a footnote to history. And you read it? From it alone, save a missionary teacher. I learned to read and speak the English. That is why I speak so alluringly. Yeah, I noticed. Now, um, about this washing and stuff, who sent you to do it? My own volition. Hmm. I am your menial and companionship. I wish to take care of you. Well, forget it. Where do you come from? My village is upriver. I came here not unwilling to visit like a ghost and be carried like a bale among scenes that had attracted me in youth and health. Yeah, sure. What's your name? I am called Anna May Lamour. I am called that by another of your race who has since returned to my old life of house and sick room. Yeah, that's fine. <clears throat> now, uh, look, here. I want to pay you for the washing you did. What is that? Well, that's money. Five dollars American. It's worth a lot in the city. I do not want it. When I am for a long time your menial and guardian, then you will repay me. Ah, we got a housekeeper, Skipper. And her name is Anna May Lamour. Mm. Look, uh, Lamour, you can't stay here. Where do you want to go? I do not. 
I've got troubles enough. If you want to help me, you go away. For a brief period of time? Yeah, even that would help. Here, here's the five dollars, Red. Yeah. Take her up to town, will you? Oh. Take her where she wants to go and lose her. Oh, you're hurting her feelings, Skipper. And she hurt mine. Laundry. <laughs> when the time comes that I can't do my own washing, I'll find a farm and, and, and a wife someplace. I cleared the mess off the deck and went back into the cabin to worry about my major problem. I knew that the orders I was supposed to get from Thorne would be directions that would lead to a meeting with Kang himself. But the next port, whatever it was, was probably the most important one on the voyage. When Gallagher came back without Lemoore, we worried together about whether we'd fouled the deal by jumping pine. We worried until nine that night. Then we heaved two sighs of relief and stopped. Thorne came into the cabin. He looked excited and nervous. Oh, Captain Carney, what happened with Pine? Pine? Well, we, uh, we were either too cautious or not cautious enough. We caught him tailing us before we read your note. Now, sit down. Oh, believe me, gentlemen, our, our situation was on the verge of complete collapse. Luckily, I was able to contact a friend of mine with the local police who told Cabot that Pine had been arrested for drunkenness and violence. We'll have to cooperate more closely from now on. From now on? Can't we clean this up and get out of here? Didn't you bring the orders from Kang? The verbal orders he gave me a few days ago when he was here, yes. Uh, the sealed envelope, uh, I'm sorry, but it was too risky. I think I can get that to you tomorrow. You understand. Well, what about the verbal orders? Uh, listen closely. There are a number of addresses. At 437 Napoleon Road, there's diving equipment. You are to pick it up. Diving equipment, huh? 437, I got it. At 488 Abelard, there are three boxes for you. They are marked paint stores, but they actually carry dynamite. Diving equipment and dynamite, all right. And Mr. Kang suggested that you replenish and repair the arms you carry and lay on a good supply of ammunition. This sounds like a happy party, don't it? Now, do you want me to repeat them for you? Hmm? No. No, I think I got everything. Red. Count one and come out on deck with me. This ship is adrift. What? Skipper. Why dissipate time and trouble, my stupid buccaneers? What's with the ship, Beacon? You cut her adrift? Why? It might be to sink it, Captain. Well. What do you think of that, Red? I think that it would be a shame to sink the ship. Gallagher knew what I meant. Beacon had walked into the cabin unarmed. He was well-built but slim. He wore rimless glasses. Gallagher prowled around behind him to hit him from the low point. I started moving in from the front. Beacon looked like he was in the middle of a ballroom as we moved in. He took his glasses off. And Gallagher hit him first. And he didn't get up. Gallagher, I mean. Then before he turned away from Red, I made my rush. With my right arm over his shoulder as a pivot for the cartwheel, my feet flew up and I landed athwart my desk and rolled off. His judo sword made my right arm useless. I tried to get up, but he walked calmly over to me and just as calmly sapped me behind the ear. Hey! What? What? slugged as many times as you were in one night. On me, he didn't use the sap. Huh? But that don't mean he didn't hit me. Right there. Ow. Between my neck and my shoulder. And when he got through, I couldn't move my arms. What's that guy got, Skipper? 
brains red and a good judo teacher someplace. <laughs> they moved the ship. Where are we? We're up one of the Sonkoy channels moored to a mud bank in a blasted jungle. Beacon brought some Indians aboard to bring us around. Our crew? Oh, they're locked in the focus room, but I think they're all right. Yeah. Thorn? Well, we got troubles enough of our own, Skipper. They kill him, Red? Oh, after that double cross? I don't know, Skipper, but it was a dark trip and he isn't here, is he? Where's Beacon? He left right after we got here in Pine. They found him, too. All they left to watch us is a whole blasted tribe of Indians squatting all over the deck. Listen to him. I wonder what that is. Beacon and his crew coming back, or, or those cannibals have got their stew pot boiling for us. <laughs> Take your choice. Bill Connie, I am Comrade Scarlet Sunday. Lamour. Oh, no. Never mind, Skipper. Say something to her. Bill Connie? Yes, Lamour. I am, as before, your menial and guardian. You wish to reward me? Can you get us out of here, Lamour? Only you, Phil Connie. Hey, well, wait, wait a minute. Wait. I have looked forth with enticing eyes at the leader of the guards. He accepts you as my charge. If you will but accept me as your menial and comradeship, he will allow us to vanish together. What are you waiting for, Skipper? All right, Lamour. With the memory that I wash your clothes and yet now save your life? Yes, Lamour. You owe me great debt. I return forth with your five dollars. Come, my lord. We will vanish. I made a lousy lord, but I tried my best because it was better than being cooped up on my own ship. There was no doubt of one thing. Her service was good. We got into a narrow dugout canoe. She paddled us a few miles downstream. When we beached, I could make out the faint trace of a road leading through the jungle. Like magic, a wagon pulled out of the brush. There was a short, chattering conversation between Lemur and the driver, who looked at me appraisingly, then nodded. She and I got into the wagon and left. And an hour and a half later, we stopped in front of Max Thorne's office. My lord has business in this place. I wish I knew you better, Lemur. I wish I knew how smart you were, or, or how stupid, and... How much you know or how much you don't know. You already owe me a great debt, my lord. But perhaps I will help you further. You will go into the office now? I will, hmm? Okay, Lamore. Anything you say. The experts have said that the native mind is simple but impenetrable. At that point, I wasn't sure of the first half, but I was convinced of the second. I waited outside the office door for a half a dozen breaths, listening... There was no sound, and there wasn't any light coming from under the door when I bent down to look. It was unlocked. I pushed it open suddenly, jumped back to hug the wall, and waited some more. Then I walked in. I found the light switch and snapped it on. No one was there, but someone had been. The place had been torn to pieces. I didn't go to much trouble in my own search for the sealed envelope Thorne had told me about. The one who'd searched before me had done about all there was to do. I fumbled through some of the junk that had been dumped in the desk drawers. I was just moving toward an overturned file cabinet when I heard the floor creak under a shoe behind me. Following an outthrust automatic into the room was Cabot Beacon. And following him, more alive than I was, was Max Thorne. 
Well, Captain, you've gone to a lot of trouble here in the office looking for a non-existent sealed envelope. Wait a minute, Thorne. Whose side are you on? To be quite candid, I found the Constantino money irresistible. I had no idea he was so interested in Kang's $10 million secret. He threw his money away on you. In a sense, I agree with you, Kearney. You were stupid to trust that girl, Thorne. But as our arrival must reveal to you, Captain Kearney, there are also informers working against her. We haven't failed yet. Nor are we likely to. What have you gained, Beacon? What was this fancy double cross you were passing around? That was my idea, Connie. And rather good, I think. You're overeducated, Beacon. Sufficiently, Connie. Is it possible that you don't know what Constantino wants? Know what he wants? I've been bucking him all the way from San Francisco for what he wants. I don't know where Kang's prize is, so there's no way you can sweat it out of me. It's like this, Captain. My orders from Constantino were only to stop you. So that he will have time to plan new strategies while Kang finds someone to take your place. You are stopped. Your ship, hidden in the jungle, will stay there to be dismantled and scuttled. Yes, but there is one way out, Captain. Yeah, I know. The one you took, Thorne. You don't need to bother with it. You're an odd man, Connie. I'm a bad loser. When somebody outsmarts me, I never get rid of the urge to kick him around. I'd kill you the first time either one of you turns your back on me. You're really quite picturesque, Connie, aren't you? Yes, it's too bad you feel that way, Connie. Yeah, I know. I lost a lot of friends. Don't try anything, Connie. Where are you going? Let him go, Thorne. But on his first attempt at anything, shoot him. Don't worry about me. Just feel like moving around. Feel free to do anything you like, Connie. Thanks. What I'm really doing is holding your attention like Thorne held mine while you were slipping the moorings on a Scarlet Queen. So somebody can sneak up behind you. I did overestimate you, didn't I? <laughs> ah, it isn't that. You're just too intelligent to fall for an old gag like that. Even when it isn't a gag. This one, Lamore, I'll take Thorne. Don't react, Thorne. It's a stupid... They didn't believe me even when I shouted at her. I had more respect for Beacon's judo than for the 45, but he went down like a dead man under her blow, and I had thrown off balance from the surprise. He pulled the trigger twice in desperation, but the slugs just chipped the ceiling. He relaxed when I hit him and lay next to Beacon. I looked at Lemur. She was leaning on her war club, leaning over Beacon. It was only a stake from the wagon, but the stealth of her movement up the stairs, across the hall, and into the room had been pure, beautiful savagery. This one is no longer dangerous? You clubbed him well, Lamour. He's entirely drained of danger. I have been your salvation again. Have I indeed not, my lord? Yeah, I'm afraid you have, Lamour. You would have reached quickly the end of your span of years if I had not arrived so vigorously. But I have a feeling of concern lest I cannot always arrive. What do you mean? I have brought to you yet your constant ally before me... Wait a minute, you don't mean you've brought... Gall- Quit shoving, quit shoving, will you? I'm getting there as fast as I can. Red, Skipper. Hey, hey Skipper, what's going on? Who's that, Beacon and Thorn? Yeah. How'd you get here, Red? Well, it seems I got a friend in that tribe, too, but he's old and ugly, and he don't talk like yours does. How'd you come, Red? And the queen. The queen? Yeah. Right after you left, the Indians hoisted anchor, and we come around. She's lying in her berth now. Is she all right? Oh, nothing worse than a few tree branches following a rigging. Uh. 
I'm telling you, Red, this one has I been... I looked the... forth with enticing eyes upon the leader Yeah, I of... know. You talked them into bringing the ship around. Indeed, I did just that. Mm-hmm. When you are prepared and rested and ready for travel, we will proceed to your ship. Okay. You heard what the boss said, Gallagher? Boss? <laughs> I thought she was your slave. Things have changed, mate. <laughs> Things have changed. If I could have found anything to complain about with the way things had gone, it would have been the way my debt to her had developed. That, the fact that there had to be a payoff, and the fond look in her eye that gave me a hint of what kind of a payoff it would be. She held my left wrist with a new possessive touch all the way to the ship. She was still holding it when we all went into the cabin. Phil Connie, your debt to me has grown like a palm tree. It now transitions to a mountain. With the message I derived from the envelope I found in the office of Max Thorne. You? Certain instructions from some man named Coochie Kang. What? You some mean? man named Coochie Kang? Lamore, that's the only reason I came to High Fund, to get instructions from Kang. What are they? Remembering that I and me alone give them to you. I say yet, you will sail to Singapore. You will find Coochie Kang in room 207 in the Metropole Hotel. Is that not stunning? Yeah. In your country, you are forced to pay all debts. Well, in my country, we seldom have debts like this one. But look, Lamore. You are I... a splendid man. Yeah, but really, Lamore, uh, well, you're not cut out to be a menial. You, you ought to marry some fine, strong man from your own people. I know what I owe you and how you feel about things like this. How did you and learn so of I my don't... marriage? You? You're planning on marriage? To someone you know? He is tall and fine. And I will teach him to speak as I speak. Oh. You don't want to be my menial and comrade, whatever it was. I wish now to end my service to you. It has been very great. Mm-hmm. You perhaps wish to repay me? Anything I have, Lamar. Uh-uh. Watch it, Skipper. From the beginning, I have greatly admired that which you wear on your left wrist. Hmm? It is of shining brilliance, and its tick-tock, tick-tock would lull my future My children. wristwatch? You mean you've done all this for my wristwatch? Indeed, yes. How could I have hoped for its attainment if they had killed you and the watch were carried down the river with your body? <laughs> Phil Connie, the great lover. <laughs> yeah. Here's the watch, Anna Mae Lamour. <laughs> By nine the next morning, we'd cast off and threaded our way through the downriver traffic. We picked up the deep water swell and the breath of the trades when we skirted the southern rim of Kakba. Stand by to make sail! The men were glad to feel a fresh breeze after the listless heat of Haiphong. They scrambled to their stations to hurry us out where the winds were even fresher and cooler. Report sheep! Make sail! The big sweep of the mainsail unfolded, filled... Pulled the mast over into a bow to the power of wind and sail. To the jump sheets, men! Smartly now! 
and boom swung over my head. And the Scarlet Queen fought at the water of Tonkin Bay with her bow and left it churned and beaten in her wake. Ah, she all right, Skipper. Hale's right, Reg. Stay like this all the way to Singapore and I'd like it. So we're finally going to meet your boss. That's the word. I got a few things to say to him myself. Ah, you'll like him, Reg. <laughs> yeah, I'd better. After what I've been through for him. Huh? Don't you like your work, Reg? Well, I was just thinking. What's going to happen when we run into something like that high-pong rat race and you don't have a watch to make some poor little Indian girl think you're worth saving? I felt that one coming, Rand. <laughs> and you. <laughs> Afraid you were breaking heart. <laughs> oh, you better have a drink, Skipper. <laughs> yeah, for my injured male vanity, huh? After you, mate, after you. Entry, the Catch Scarlet Queen, 11.30 p.m. Miles traveled from San Francisco, 11,658. Sky fair, wind rising. Mainsail and mizzen reefed. Ship secure for night. Signed, Philip Carney, Master. of the Scarlet Queen has come to you through the worldwide facilities of the United States Armed Forces Radio and Television Service. Entry, the Catch Scarlet Queen. Position, 3 degrees 7 minutes north, 104 degrees 2 minutes east. Wind brisk, sky fair. Remarks, departed Singapore after altercation with deputy public prosecutor. Reason for incident, shore leave and the unhappy wife. days out of Haiphong that we rounded Point Lima, left the China Sea astern, glowing like gold in the strong afternoon sun, and passed through Singapore Strait to find mooring at the Peninsula Company docks just south of Raffles Key. My chief mate Gallagher and I left the ship as soon as she was secure and hailed a cab. Hotel Metropole, Charlie. I'd been hit periodically with a feeling akin to sickness for three or four days before our Singapore arrival. And it gnawed at me more severely than ever now that I was separated from the hotel only by minutes. Part relief, part apprehension, part disbelief that I was actually here and almost face-to-face with Kuji Kang, the man who'd drawn me all the way from San Francisco, was ready to send me farther into I didn't know what on the voyage of the Scarlet Queen. As we walked through the lobby of the Metropole, I had the feeling that I and I alone had ever been in a situation just like this. I wondered if I looked as conspicuous as I felt, and whether the little British desk clerk caught the shake in my voice as I told him to phone Kang's room. 
I wondered if he was smiling at the strain even I could feel in the way I looked at him as he came back from the switchboard. The Honorable Kuji Kang is in, and he will see you. After everything, after sweating and bleeding for over 13,000 miles, and after fighting and killing, after giving up and starting it all over again, that's how I was notified of my final success. As if I dropped in from the next hotel. The Honorable Kuji Kang is in, and he will see you. That's what the man said. And so Mutual continues The Voyage of the Scarlet Queen, written by Gil Dowd and Bob Tolman, and starring Elliot Lewis. The Scarlet Queen, proudest ship to plow the seas, bound for uncharted adventure. Every week, a complete entry in the log. And every week, a league further in the strange voyage of the Scarlet Queen. My son. How are you, Kang? Now, I am all right, Philip. You are here. Oh, Red, I'd like to have you meet Coogee Kang. This is Mr. Gallagher, my chief mate. How do you do? It is my honor, Mr. Gallagher. Thanks, Mr. Kang. Uh, thanks very much. It, it, it's been a long time, Kang. Now that we're here and we found you and everything... It's a whale of a letdown, sir. It's a little hard to believe. Of course. I am filled with the same feelings. So, I have collected on the table here as American an assortment of liquor as I was able to find in Singapore. This bottle, for example, they tell me it is called corn squeezings in certain sections of your country. <laughs> Kang, you're wonderful. White mule. Please, help yourself. You'll have a drink with us, Kang? I, uh... I believe it is better that I die in ignorance of the effects of corn in this particular form. <laughs> I have here my wine, and my spirit will be the same. It's an important drink, Kang. It is indeed. Therefore, one before which we should hesitate not one instant. Philip? Red? Skipper? <laughs> and now, Philip, I would like to speak to you in privacy for a few minutes. You would not mind, Mr. Gallagher? Oh, no, it's all right with me, sir. Yeah, with a spread like this, it ought to be. We will rejoin you shortly. In the meantime, I'm expecting two other guests, Mr. and Mrs. Harry Marlowe. Should they arrive, please introduce yourself and give them my welcome. Yes, sir. In here, Philip? Yeah, sure. Philip, my son, the pride I feel for you fills my heart, and it must overflow. Thank you, Ken. Although you must have felt from time to time that my hand gave you little but negligence. Please know that from the beginning of the voyage of the Scarlet Queen in San Francisco, I have been aware of your constant courage, the difficulties that faced you, your progress. My daughter herself at least partially described to you the value of the treasure after which you have been sailing and which has been the basis for all the attacks upon you. That's right, sir. Constantino has not yet, and I fear will not until the last moment, halt his efforts to gain the treasure for himself. His goal is personal profit. Mine, I say simply, 
is to recover the treasure for my country to which it is of untold value. Because in it are relics from each of the dynasties from centuries B.C. to the most recent. As you have been told, there are two ivory tablets from the first or yin. As he talked, I felt myself filling with the same sense of urgency that had taken me when I originally signed with him in Shanghai almost two years before. Maybe it was a type of hypnotism. Maybe it was that through his great personality, the magic of China's past actually reached through and held me. Whatever it was, I knew again as I'd known before that it was something more than my signature on a Chinese contract that kept me sailing under his charter. Maybe Jason felt the same kind of pull in his search for the Golden Fleece. Maybe Sir Galahad after the Holy Grail. I would have believed anything, myth or fairy tale. But when my mind dropped back into reality, it dropped suddenly and it stayed there. So you see, Philip, my son, in the face of such value, we must maintain utmost caution. To do so, I must ask you to discharge your first officer, Mr. Gallagher. Kang, discharge Gallagher? Remember, my son, he was in the employ of Constantino when he signed on with you in San Francisco. He was under a cloud of suspicion in Honolulu and Kobe. Oh, I know it, Kang, but things have changed. I'd trust that guy with my life. I've done it. Could it not be, my son, that he would do his utmost to save your life until the treasure was placed aboard your Scarlet Queen? We'll talk about it no longer at this time. I have sent for a man in whom I have the greatest faith, Harry Marlowe. He is an unmatched navigator. He knows the celibacy sea as he knows his own body. I, uh, I had hoped to see him beside you on the decks of the Scarlet Queen. I don't know, Kang. This is awful tough. She's still your ship. We will talk no longer about it. You will meet him now, at any rate. I, uh, have but a word of fatherly warning. His wife, Jean. Huh? Poor Marlowe's excellence is based upon the niceties of celestial navigation, I fear, and not upon the niceties of the so-called celestial bliss demanded by a woman like Jean. She is, in short, a huntress. Shall we go? I knew what he meant when we saw them. Harry Marlowe was the porky type. He forced his clothes at the points of constriction, oozing out over his belt and his collar. The wife, Jean, was a true night-blooming type, her hair blonde, verging on platinum. Her clothes were filled correctly. I saw how easily she herded her husband and the others to one corner of the room, me into another. I've heard so much about you from Kang. I feel as though I know you very well. He warned me against you. Warned you? Yes. He said you're the type that wives leave husbands for. And now I believe him. Just between you and me, Phil, can you blame me for wanting to once in a while? I don't blame anybody for anything. Believe me, you show great promise. But don't you think you'd better move outside the family circle? We could be careful. That's exactly what I am, being gorgeous. I don't want any trouble now. Perhaps I was mistaken in you. I'm a little surprised at myself. But thanks for the compliment, anyway. You're entirely welcome. <laughs> Schoolboy. The rest of the meeting was no less nightmarish. We drank our way through Kang's assortment of liquor, had dinner... And when I got to the point where I was hardly able to look Gallagher or Kang in the eye, we left. 
next three days should have been the best period of the voyage. Tank didn't spare anything in making it a holiday for all of us. The Scarlet Queen went into dry dock for a complete repair and repainting. The crew was brought ashore to live and let go with an expense account limited only by the fact that there were only 24 hours a day to spend it in. Red and I were set up in a suite at the Hotel Metropole with two bedrooms and a parlor. I didn't tell Red about Tang's wish. Maybe I should have so we could have shared one of the most miserable times of my life. But instead, I watched him leave the hotel every afternoon, watched him crawl back into the room every morning just before dawn. I didn't find out where he'd been spending his time until a little after two, the morning of the fourth day. And by then, it was too late. His face was beaten raw when he came in. There was a look of terror in his eyes that I'd never seen there before. Skipper. What's the matter, Red? What's the matter? Her husband. Whose husband? Marlowe. That Marlowe. Now, make a stop, make a sense. Is that who you've been mixed up with? Yeah. You picked a great one, Red. Anybody but his wife. So Marlowe showed up. What happened? I don't know, Skipper. I don't know, but he's dead. Red. I don't know, Skipper. So help me. But he shot. All right, what happened? He came in and he had a gun in his hand. I made him drop it and we landed on the floor. And she put a gun in my hand. I didn't want it. He landed one on my face then. I was kind of groggy for a second and then... There was the shot. Okay, Red. That's a great story. It's the best I can do, Skipper. Accidents like that happen. I didn't have any reason to kill him. I wouldn't kill him just to get away from him, would I? I don't think you would, Red. That's the trouble. Answer it, Skipper. You know who it is. Yeah. That's right. Okay, thanks. The police, Red, they're on their way up. Have you got the gun? Yeah. Here it is. All right, leave it here. I'll keep it out of sight. Now, you better get out of here, don't you think? That'll make it look worse. Nothing will make it look worse. Get out of here. Let me know where you are when you can and stay undercover. You're hotter than you even think. Come on in. Inspector Edwards, Deputy Public Prosecutor's Office. Your name, please? Philip Carney. What's the occasion? What do you want? Your chief officer, Mr. Gallagher, is to be held for prosecution, the charge to be murder. Why, you're crazy. Mr. Gallagher was discovered in a rather indelicate situation by Mr. Harry Marlowe, the husband of the woman sharing that situation. Do I make myself clear? Yeah, it has a familiar ring, so... Naturally, far. there was a spurt of jealous anger from Marlowe, a bit of defensive action from Gallagher, a scuffle, a shot, and Mr. Marlowe was dead. Hmm. Self-defense? If Gallagher were dead and Marlowe alive, yes. Self-defense and justifiable homicide under the unwritten law. It would be so much simpler for all of us if that were the situation, wouldn't it? Uh Manslaughter. Possibly. A five-year minimum sentence in the Federated Malay States. But I'd like to think that it was premeditated. Oh, not a chance, Edwards. I've known Gallagher for a long time. Long enough to know he wouldn't use a gun to get away from a, a wronged husband. So... Where's your motive? We both know there was an excellent motive, don't we, Mr. Carney? What do you mean, Edwards? We both know that Harry Marlowe was due to take Gallagher's place as chief mate on your vessel, don't we? But still no motive because Gallagher didn't know. I didn't tell him. I'm afraid you're a bit mistaken. Gallagher did know. Where did you get that lie? From an entirely impeccable source. From your employer, Mr. Carney. Coogee Kang. (laughs) 
Kang. Kang, you still awake? Yes, Philip. I've been waiting for you. Sit down, my boy. I need some help, Kang. You've heard about everything, I guess. I just want to know one thing. Did you tell Gallagher that Marlowe was going to sail with me? You should be able to answer that yourself, Philip. You didn't, did you? The police told me he knew. I'm afraid he did. I'm afraid Marlowe himself told him. Why? Marlowe came here tonight. He was most incensed. He was convinced that his wife involved herself only to keep him from making the trip with you. She had threatened that if he went, she would transfer her affections to the man whose place he took. He left here to explain her insincerity to Mr. Gallagher. He was going to tell him everything. When did she make that threat, King? The evening after you met them. Yeah. She's a great little woman. Perhaps she merely knows men's weakness. Maybe that's it, King. Maybe that's it. I stayed in the suite the next day, waiting for word from Gallagher. It came about 2.30 that afternoon. He was holed up in a room out on Victoria Street in the Chinese section where he thought he'd be safe for a while. Then I left the hotel and went down to get the autopsy report on Marlowe. And after that, I went out to pay my respects to his widow. She was reclining in a wicker chair near a little fountain in the garden of the Marlowe cottage. Oh, Phil, I, I'm glad you've come. What about Red? Is no, they he... haven't found him yet. Not that they don't have the dragnet out. Well, I, I know I shouldn't say this, Phil, but I just can't bring myself to hate Red. Because unless there was some strong personal feeling between the two, I think that the shooting in the middle of the struggle was really accidental. I'm afraid I've got the only real proof, either for him or against him. The gun he was carrying. <laughs> I know I ought to turn it in, but it's hard to bring myself to do it. Oh, Phil, what, what an awful burden. You know how they are. They'll want to check the bullet they took from your husband's body. Oh, how terrible for you. I know I can't help, but believe me, whatever you do is your secret. I've forgotten everything you've said to me. Thanks, Mrs. Marlowe. I really didn't come out here to share my problem with you. I wanted to tell you that I'd be in my hotel for the rest of the afternoon. I have to leave for an hour around five. Then I'll be in for the rest of the night. So if you need anything, want any help, just let me know. Oh, thank you, Phil. I think I'll be all right. When I left her, I had two hours to arrange the biggest gamble of the voyage. The odds were two to one against me. The two-figure was divided into the possibility that Red had killed Marlowe to keep his berth, or that it had been accidental during the scuffle, which under the circumstances would be almost as bad. The one against those two was the possibility that Jean had killed Marlowe. And that was based upon the faint, hazy fact that she tried to involve me before she'd gotten her hooks into Red. It was weak, but I'd caught 100-pound shark on 50-pound test line. All I could do was try. I grabbed a cab out to Victoria Street and found Red huddled in a ratty room about the size of the Queen's paint locker. What's doing, Skipper? I don't know, Red. Oh, nice place you got here. Uh, yeah. And don't think I haven't been kicking myself around it once in a while. I'll give you a hand next time around. Right. Red, tell me one thing. Did you know there was talk of giving Marlowe your berth on the Queen? My berth? What's the matter, Skipper? Why'd you want to give him my berth? Okay. That's all I wanted to hear, Red. What's the matter, Skip? I haven't I been all right sure in that you have, Red. I didn't want to give him your berth. Now shut up, will you? Drop it. Well, you... 
Marlowe didn't say anything about it when he, he came in, huh? No. He didn't say anything. How about the woman? Something about too late. It didn't make any difference if he left or not. That's when he rushed me. Yeah. Okay, Red, come on. We're going to gamble. On what? On whether she knocked him off or it was all... Oh. I hope you don't mind, gentlemen. Hello, Edwards. Did you have any reason to lure me here, Connie? No, you can go anytime you want. Then you become dreadfully careless and an outstandingly simple accessory. You see the gun, gentlemen? We'll leave now. Oh, wait a minute, Edward. You said you liked premeditated murder instead of manslaughter. Would you be willing to give us an hour and a half? I most certainly would not. Then I guess we'll have to resist arrest, Edwards. We can't go with you. Be reasonable, gentlemen. I have to take you. Then you shouldn't have come alone. There we are, Red. One of us will get you, Edwards. Take your choice. You're my choice, Connie. It wasn't foolhardiness. It was desperation. We had to get out of there. We separated, putting him between us. He started backing toward a wall. I wasted two breaths and glanced at Red. He started to rush and stopped. Edwards' eye swung his way for an instant, and I landed prone in front of him and rolled into him. His shots gouged the four inches away from me, and Red hit him from behind. Between us, we quieted him down. We shoved the gag in his mouth, trussed him up with our belts. And when we left, there were two of us on the wrong side of the Singapore law. We sneaked into the hotel suite through a rear entrance. And a few minutes before five, I made my public exit for the benefit of Mrs. Harry Marlowe. I circled the building and went back to the room by way of the rear door again and settled down to wait for her to pick up the cue I'd given her and sneak into the room to trade the murder weapon for the one Red had left with me. It was a good plan. It was very clever. But it didn't work. Six o'clock, Red and I looked at one another. What now, Skipper? I don't know. Maybe she'll still come. If you were going into somebody's room and you knew they'd be out between five and six, would you be late? But we still got the gun. If that isn't the one that killed him, I'm in the clear. Isn't that right? Yeah, yeah. We got the gun. Edwards isn't going to stay lashed up all night. You wait here, Red. I'm going out. Maybe I'll get another brilliant idea. But that particular Singapore night didn't seem to be the one for brilliant ideas. I didn't dare go out through the lobby. I slipped out the back, started toward the Marlowe cottage. But with every step, it became more obvious that there was no purpose in going anyplace. If she'd held to a story through my bluff, there was no way I could jar her off of it. I got a half a block away, and the weight of the situation stopped me. Without a better answer for Marlowe's murder than the one they had already, there was no way for me to turn. With the Edwards thing, I was in as deeply as red. And that meant melee state's law. That led to jungle prison. No, I couldn't see it. I turned around and headed for the front entrance to the Metropole with my mind made up to go to Kang. Ask him to take care of the crew, keep his eyes closed, while Red and I tried to make it out of the city to wherever we could get. A scattering of early diners was strolling towards the hotel, and like during my first visit to the hotel, but at the other extreme, I wondered if I looked as obvious as I felt. I hugged the shrubbery at the edge of the wide sidewalk, and I'd almost reached the doorway when a whisper stopped me. Phil. Stopped my feet, my heart, and my mind. Phil, I want to talk to you. Hello, Jean. What are you doing here? I've been waiting for you. Come into the garden with me. All right, Jean. 
What do you want? You expected me to come to your room, didn't you? Yes, I did. You expected me to bring this gun and leave it there, didn't you? But it was a trap, wasn't it? What do you want, Jean? I came to kill you. Because that stupid Gallagher gave you that gun instead of throwing it away like I told him to. And you're the only one who can prove that he didn't kill Harry Marlowe. You got the autopsy report. You know they took the bullet from his body. And that it won't check with Red's gun. That's right. But it won't do you any good to kill me, Jean. How long have you been here? I've been waiting since five. Then you don't know that Inspector Edwards is at your house now waiting for you. Yes. You're lying. He isn't there. Give me the gun, Jean. No, you're lying. Gallagher has been cleared. He's down on the ship now. You're lying. They keep me from killing you. Oh, cracking up. Settle down. You're lying. Settle down or I'll take the gun away from you. And then where will you be? <laughs> you want me to take you home, Jean? No, no. Edwards, he's there. Take, take me to your room. You can help me out of this. Sure, gorgeous. We can help you out of this. Now drop the gun before I break your arm. Later that same night, the deputy public prosecutor's office got a more coherent confession than she'd given me. She'd been trying to get rid of her husband for the past two years by every method in or out of the book. And when two guys with potential motives arrived, me to keep Gallagher in his berth and Red to keep himself in it, she'd gone to work. She'd missed me and caught Red and killed her husband during the fight she'd arranged herself. Later that night, the DPP's office had also received a very agitated inspector named Edwards. And at about that time, Red and I were two-thirds through our second or third celebration bottle of Kang's white mule in his rooms at the Metropole. And Kang took me aside. Philip, my son, you are a young man with a stubborn will. Instinct, Kang. I know a good chief mate when I see one. There is no argument left in me. If you will submit to what you have recently experienced to keep Gallagher aboard, then Gallagher... It will be. Your hand, Philip. I wish to congratulate you on your police work. You mean the simple threat of checking the slug to her gun? I believe that is what, as they say, cracked the case. Yeah, it did, Kay. But it would have been a mess if somebody had asked me to make the threat good. That slug, it had hit Marlowe's belt buckle on the way in. It was so misshapen they couldn't have checked it to any gun. Surprising revelation, my son. Better proof that even the wisdom of Confucius blanches before the luck of the Irish. By nine the next morning, we'd slipped out through the islands that fill Singapore Harbor. And as we headed into Main Strait, we picked up the trades, whistling down toward the equator. Queen looked like the cover girl on a dollar yachting magazine and her new paint and her new varnish. The new hemp in her running rigging was stiff in the crew's hands. The big expanse of the mainsail crackled into the breeze, and the streak of sunlight on the shining mainmast glistened and moved as the tall spar leaned a little under the wind. and untried rode out. The mizzen creaking with newness swung over my head. 
and the Scarlet Queen brazenly showed her shining side as she buckled into the run toward British North Borneo. I'm trying to think of a time when I felt better, and I can't. For me, you can have Singapore. <laughs> What's our next port, Skipper? Thundercat. And listen, Red. Yeah? Now, I hope you aren't going to mind a little fatherly advice. No, sir. Now, you'll have to admit that woman was dynamite. Yes, sir. So from now on, when you meet some charmer, you bring her to your captain. That doesn't sound so good. Oh, we'll get references, letters of recommendation, things like that. That won't be much fun, but we'll keep you out of trouble. Yes, sir. Yeah, now. A bottle, please. Yes, sir. Drink skipper. Huh? <laughs> you need one worse than I do. <laughs> after you, mate, after you. Entry, the Catch Scarlet Queen, 5.30 p.m. Miles traveled from San Francisco, 13,463. Sky fair, wind rising. Mainful and mizzen reefed. Ship secure for night. Signed, Philip Carney, Master. And that's this week's Mutual Presents feature. The Mutual Audio Network brings the best of old-time radio and modern audio theater to the world. Be sure to subscribe through the Mutual Audio Network podcast feed, any of our podcast days, or the Mutual YouTube channel, which includes MadCon and many other extra features and shows. See you all next time at Mutual Presents. Good night. This is Jack Ward, and on behalf of everyone here at the Mutual Audio Network, we wish you, your family, and all your friends safe harbor during these difficult times.